Welcome back, one and all, to Cafe Penumbra, your cyber cafe where we exchange ideas about current events, hot topics, storytelling, plus all the things. Just as a reminder, we do have a sister platform over on the Discord. You may want to head over there so you can take a look at upcoming episodes. You can weigh in on topics for upcoming shows, pose questions, or even start a new episode. You can find a link to Cafe Penumbra server in the show notes. Or if you head over to seraphimpenumbra.com, you'll find a link to the server there. The title of today's episode is My Bando Obsession, a brief discussion about urban exploring, or urbex as it's known in its community. Why are we discussing this, you may be asking yourselves right about now. And the answer is, it's a thing. And I didn't know it was a thing. I went my whole life so far thinking a certain way about it, and I think it was 2018, some of the people from the PLC house were urbexers, and somebody used the word bando, and I had that feeling like when you find out a secret that everybody else already knows. I do want to hear from you on this. Did you know what it was? Have you ever done it, either casually, or are you into it? If so, please let us know what you're thinking on the Discord. For those of you who may not know, Discord is a chat platform and we have a server there, so please check that out. If you're unfamiliar with it, there is a little introduction video over on the YouTube channel. We do have a brand new segment for you. We haven't named it yet, so feel free to drop a suggestion. But the concept is points to ponder, like inspirational quotes and things like that. Today's tip is for those of you who may drive. Now, I like to think the best of my fellow people. One place where that falls out is when I'm driving and I need to make a left-hand turn. So if you happen to be driving and making a left-hand turn, I hope you'll be able to appreciate how challenging that can be. And in the midst of that struggle, will you please consider not pulling into the middle of or the right-hand side of the lane uh, to make that left-hand turn? If you happen to be driving a Cadillac or a Hummer or a Suburban or a limousine, that won't be practical advice for you, I realize. But if you're in a Mazda and you're making a left-hand turn, you really do not need the turning radius of a Suburban or a school bus in order to execute your turn. But if you do... Now I also have to wait for someone in the oncoming lane to let you go because you've pulled over to the right to turn left and I can't get by you. And now I and everyone else behind me has to wait for someone to let you go. So please don't do that. It's all about mindfulness and being aware of how your decisions impact the people around you. It reminds me of like when you're using public transit, like a bus or a subway, and people are lined up to get in or out of the train or whatever it is. And some people will walk inside of, like, let's say it's a subway, they'll walk inside the subway car and just stop. And I just narrate that. And the narration is, well, I'm in. That's good. Yeah, that's not good. That's not how to do that. Um, Same thing with like an escalator. And when you get to the bottom or to the top, don't just stand there and figure out your next move. Like, be prepared. You see that it's coming. And when it's your turn, step off and get out of the way. Because you're being mindful of the fact that the rest of us are also here using the same space. And back to driving. If you are turning, go ahead and use your turn signal before you slam on your brakes to make that turn. 
see how I called it a turn signal on purpose, because that reminds me that I'm signaling to those around me what my intentions are. A lot of people will call it a blinker, I know, but I call it a signal so that I remember that I'm communicating with fellow operators. Well, that was a bunch of tips all rolled up into one. That was fun. We should do that every time. We need to figure out a name for it. Now, my bando obsession. Who remembers that 80s movie called Night of the Comet? Of course, that's before most of our time collectively, but through the magic of the interwebs, that was the first time that I was keenly aware of my bando obsession when I watched Night of the Comet. And when I figured out that that was like my obsession, I knew right away that it was something that I should keep to myself, like so many other discoveries. But So in the movie, these teenagers survive an apocalypse. There's a comet that comes around every, I don't know, however often years. And the people are all celebrating like it's almost like Y2K or Haley's Comet kind of like rolled up into one. Um. And when the comet comes, anybody who's exposed to it is reduced to this, like, rust dust, rusty dust. Um, so the, the survivors, this uh, I think it's two sisters and a boy, they wander around the city, and there is no traffic, and there are no people. And they go into a mall, and it's full of stuff. Like, everybody just stopped, so whatever was there is still there. I mean, in the movie, like they could just take whatever they wanted and it was, it didn't matter. Um, now, I mean, I didn't fantasize about everyone dying, but I did fantasize about how much cooler so many places would be if there were no people. I hate going to the mall, but if there were no people there, little did I know that would become a recurring theme. In fact, when COVID started, I was like, oh, uh, I have to stay in my home and not interact with other people. I'm listening. Go ahead. I mean, nothing against you all, but sometimes couch, dog, book, snacks, coffee is like my reigning religion of choice. I guess around the same time, I lived next door to this church complex Um, So there was a church and a school and, uh, I guess, a parsonage. There were nuns. So there were a couple of other buildings. But the school was defunct and the windows were all boarded up. So naturally, we would find ways of getting in and exploring. And it was pretty much all intact. Like one day, school just stopped and like there was um, chalk in the chalk trays. And um, there wasn't much of anything else You know, desks, of course, but it was just empty. And for me, part of the appeal was how easily it is to connect to people's lives. Like, in that, I remember thinking people wrote on this chalkboard or like passed notes in this classroom or just lived part of their lives in this place, and it's never going to happen again. I just remember being completely in awe of the fact that this three story, perfectly good building was just sealed up and forgotten about. But it went away a few years later when it was converted into an apartment building. And then, of course, it was way less interesting. But as far as bandos go, that was probably incredibly unusual. But even 
like taking a tour of a house and seeing the things that are left behind. It's just so fascinating. Currently, I live in a converted textile mill, and one of the coolest things about it is the remnants of when it lived its life as a factory. Like, people did their job on the floor that I walk on probably more than 100 years ago. That's just infinitely fascinating to me. When I was in high school, I don't recall exactly how we discovered it, but we found an abandoned institution. And I think that we liked it because there were no people, but admittedly the creep factor also. The idea that people who were suffering came there for treatment during the late 1970s. How many people had been there against their will? How many people suffered abuse or neglect or experimental treatments? How many people died there? And if ghosts are real, how many of those people were still there, right? And uh, this one in particular had three buildings, three main buildings, and they were connected by hallways, kind of like tunnels, but they were above ground. And there had been a fire and lots of vandalism and so many dead cats. That was really weird. I understand the animals isolate when they know that they're going to die or when they're dying, but there were at least a dozen dead cats in the buildings, and we all just found that pretty odd. We went back a bunch of times to explore, and believe it or not, I had my portrait photographed there for my yearbook photo. Decades later, I came to learn that it was called the Love Ring Colony State Hospital, and it was, in fact, a mental institution. I think we just made some assumptions at the time, and there was no internet yet, so there was no real way of finding out what it was or any of the history about it. I did go back to that site a few years ago, and you could barely see where the access road had been. It was so overgrown with brambles. Uh, I parked and tried to hike out to see if there were anything left of the buildings. They were massive, so there had to be something. But it was just so overgrown that I had no way of knowing if I was even anywhere near them. And of course, I was too spooked to attempt to go in by myself. So another time I asked one of my friends to go with me. And I realized now, inviting somebody to drive to an isolated spot on the side of the road and hike out through these brambles like... Maybe that was an incredibly creepy ask, but he went and we could not find it. My guess is he was probably relieved. A few years later, I was spending a lot of my spare time in cafes on the east side of Providence here, and there is this train tunnel that goes all the way through College Hill that had some of the most amazing graffiti art and murals that I've ever seen in my entire life. And then since that has been sealed over with corrugated steel after a thing known as RISD riots, according to urban legend, um, I could not find much information about that. I know where it is, but the last time I have been there, it, like I said, it was covered up with corrugated steel. And, but we used to dare each other to see how far you could go. And I personally never made it all the way through. It was pitch black, of course, the further away from the entrance. And it was long enough that you couldn't see the light at the other end. I wasn't familiar with zombies yet, but the unknown darkness of that train tunnel was enough to deter me from going for very far in. And now I kind of regret it. Um, I kind of wish some, there was way an access so that somebody could go in and 
course, it's been decades now, so there probably isn't much of it remaining, but it would be cool to see what those walls look like now. Uh, also, here in Rhode Island, I never considered it to be abandoned, but the Bell's Mansion ruins in Newport were plenty visible from where we would park and we would frequently hike back. And there was this, I don't know, maybe three-story stone uh, observation tower that we used to climb and literally just have picnics and enjoy the view. I do have this one photograph that I took of it from, I don't know, the early 1990s, I guess. Um, and I haven't been back since, but as far as I know, it has decayed to the point that, I mean, I know that it's surrounded by a fence, um, and I'm pretty sure that you shouldn't be going in. Fast forward. I'm often late to TV shows. I generally don't watch TV, but, um, Walking Dead happened and I was like, whatever. And then one day by accident, I was watching TV and I saw a part of the cliffhanger, where I think it was season six, where there's a, a horde of zombies trapped in a stone quarry. Um, and that kind of like hooked me. But I, I watched for a little bit and I finally realized most of the sets are going to be bandos. And that was the reason why I went back and binge watched every single episode from the beginning of the series. At that point, I still didn't know the term bando, but I had explored a number of them over the years. Um, but it was pretty recently, actually, that I, like I said, that I'd heard the term for the first time and discovered that there's a whole community of people into this thing called urbex or urban exploring. Of course, there are countless YouTube channels where people could find these bandos and explore them with a camera. And I've watched some of them and I always like pick them to watch. And then I'm like, it's not as interesting to watch somebody else exploring one as to be there yourself. I mean, it's kind of cool, and of course it takes out the risk factor, but I think maybe that's part of what makes it um, more appealing. I don't know. So I did do a little bit of diggery on the interwebs um, because I was just curious to find out that it was a thing, and so I guess I can come out now. I guess I'm an urbexer, although I don't really find much occasion to um, find them and explore them in person. But I'm very interested to talk with people and see if and why urbex is something that resonates with you. And if you have a, a story or a perspective or experience that you want to share, that would be super cool. Also, why is it called urban exploring? Most of the, most of the locations that I've been to have been pretty rural. Um, but according to, let's see, I went to urbanplayground.com. I'm sorry, urbexplayground.com. Urbex is the fusion of urban exploration and refers to the exploration of man-made structures, usually abandoned ruins or not usually seen components of the man-made environment. Then there's also Rurex, not surprisingly Rufex, which among the most dangerous um, because the payoff, of course, is the incredible views that are available to you when you succeed on your mission. We did a lot of roofing while I was in New York City in the 90s and aughts, but not exactly the same thing. And then I also stumbled across Drainex. And of course, after the number of Walking Dead episodes I have seen, that's a no for me. I don't like to be separated from oxygen. I don't know. I guess I'm just a little bit too claustrophobic for that. Definitely did want to point out that for the most part, it is illegal. 
I have seen some YouTubers who say that they have had permission to go and explore and film, which I think is very cool, but they do obviously tend to not disclose the location. Also wanted to mention that when I was doing my research, there seems to be a commonly agreed upon set of rules for urbexing, which I think is very interesting that there's this whole culture with like an unwritten manifesto. Part of that is actually encouraging people to do some research uh, first and optimally try and get permission. Another rule that I've heard repeated on several platforms was don't break anything to gain access. I thought that was interesting. And it made me wonder if somebody thinks that like maybe it's not a B and E breaking and entering if there's no B for breaking. I don't know. But another rule, which I first heard from the Rainbow family or the Rainbow tribe, um, is also commonly known to people who go to national parks, which is take only photographs, leave only footprints, which I really enjoy because it's all about mindfulness and stewardship in this way. But if you've ever done any urbexing, you know, you see a lot of vandalism. But here there seems to be pretty clear code that urbexing is focusing on the exploring and not destroying. I saw some other resources that recommend dressing in black if you're night exploring or wearing clothing in order to blend into your environment. Like, I don't know, fatigue, uh, camouflage. I was going to say fatigues. I don't know if that's the right word. Um, so that you're not easily spotted, of course. And that kind of makes sense. I'm surprised they didn't see anything that recommended like wearing long pants or wearing safe footwear. Um, but okay. I also saw advice against carrying tools, which kind of incriminates you if you claim to be an innocent explorer, but you're carrying like bolt cutters or something. But if you are not breaking anything to get in, then you don't need to carry bolt cutters. Um, for me, when I see these abandoned places, I feel like partly I'm feeling the energy of the people whose lives took place there. Like that, that's, that's the appeal and the fascination. Partly I see potential, what could have been, what still could be, right? Like that um, school, um, I think most bandos don't get another life, but we are kind of living in a, an era where we're seeing a lot of like mill conversions and factory um, spaces being uh, converted to residential and uh, artist spaces. So not so unusual, but... Um, Perhaps the most profound thing to witness is how Mother Nature very slowly, ever so slowly, reclaims these abandoned places and consumes the man-made imprint and returns them to nature. It is just completely epic. Some of them, like if you you know look around on YouTube, like some of them, it, it literally looks like the earth is swallowing up all the evidence. Uh, that the men had ever been there and built the building or whatever. And that is just incredibly epic. In my humble opinion. Let's see. I'm going to post my yearbook picture just because um, I took it in the Bell's Mansion. No, at the Love Ring Colony. And I'm going to post um, my picture from the Bell's Mansion ruins on my Insta. You can find my Insta on my profile on the Discord or on um, seraphimpenumbra.com. 
If you comment, if you see that picture on my Insta and comment the name of this episode, which is My Bando Obsession, you will win a prize. Fun! Okay, let's keep the conversation alive. And remember, it is only a conversation when ideas are exchanged. So please, once again, please head over to the Discord and weigh in. Next time, we'll be talking about Vision Quest. I'm very excited about that. Thanks very much for stopping by Cafe Penumbra. I'm your host, Seraphim Penumbra, wishing you a jolly new now. <laughs>